So how do you pronounce your last name? Kidola. <laughs> Kidola. 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 No. Kidola. With, with an R. Kidola. Kiorga. Yes. But you're not putting a hard G. No. You're just saying Kiorga. Yes. Kiorga. Yes. Kiorga. That's, that's, that's great. <laughs> okay. Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Gavriel Quarga joins me. Gavriel is a game designer who hit the ground running. His first RPG project, NeuroCity, successfully funded, but his second Kickstarter, Warpland, was a smash hit. He has a new project, a set, that went live recently on Kickstarter. It is a card game about medieval monks seeking enlightenment in a world filled with temptations and demons. It's time to roll a 2d6 and get started. Sisters and brothers, it's time to get rambling. Hello, Gabrielle. Hello, Jeffrey. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Looks like you're coming from uh, beautiful Buenos Aires. It's beautiful right now. Yes, it's uh, sunny. We are still in winter, but we are doing fine. It's uh, quite temperate. So when you say uh, in winter, because uh, when I look outside, I see green foliage. And where I'm coming from, everything dies and it's covered with snow and ice. So what, what, So what's the temperature like there? It's about uh, 15 uh, centigrades. Okay. I wonder if that's, I have to look that up. I probably imagine maybe 50 or 60 degrees here. So I, I think. It's not freezing for you. It's uh, like mild. <laughs> <laughs> so when it gets to be winter, do like people like huddle in houses? Is it because you're used to warmer weathers or just people, do people just uh, go about their normal life? Everyone goes around uh, with their normal lives here. Yes, it's not so extreme. It still is uh, much colder than Brazil, for example, because we are farther on the south, south in okay. Argentina. Right, so you're further away from the equator. Yes. Yeah, it's it's like I know for around here, as you go further up north, it gets much more cold in the winter time, and it gets to mm -hmm. be such an extreme that like your car batteries will die, and so people's way of life they have to change dramatically in the winter. Where around here it shut us down, but when it gets like you know, you know, like like thirty below Fahrenheit, you know, they still got to go to work. <laughs> so it's like, I know, I know, I know. I. I <laughs> I spent uh, a couple of months in Boston, so oh I my know the, goodness! The weather over there. <laughs> and you found your yes. way out of Boston. That is like a jacked-up town as far as streets go. Yes, yes, it's very cold. <laughs> so, so what'd you do in Boston? Uh, I used to work uh, for the Clark's Shoe Factory. Oh, really? Yeah, for the brand. Yes, I, I was in the shoe business. Before oh my I goodness. embarked on the RPG business. <laughs> okay, so so you came to the U.S. was in the shoe business, and then yes. then went to beautiful Buenos Aires to retire uh, writing RPGs. <laughs> yes, more or less that was the the case. So I think what you need to do is you need to write up the business plan, and then you need to sell it, and I will buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I will try to do that. Yes, <laughs> there will all be a bunch of that. All the RPG uh, designers will, will be in Buenos Aires, enjoying the beautiful, uh, the beautiful scenery, and uh, and being able to make a living off of uh, tabletop RPGs. So, 
Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, as things are like now, you can live anywhere and still work with what it, you like. It is pretty amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, so what? So for like RPGs, what was like your start as far as playing? What was the the thing that when you were did you come to it young in life, late in life? I started when I was uh, fifteen ye- uh, years old. I am. 37 right now i started with a ad and d second edition yes. so so was it um was it in spanish was it in english it, it was in spanish yes yes and after that i moved with the world of the Arctics. those were my two games at the beginning yeah, it's it's kind of amazing just how big that property is. I kind of there was a period of time where I wasn't playing RPGs, and, and I don't think the group I was playing with probably would have done much as far as World of Darkness. But it just uh, that mm-hmm. definitely took the world by storm. I was not um, I was not so interested in the in the setting of World of Darkness. Uh, I like it, but not I was not uh, fascinated by it. But I was uh, very fond of the mechanics of that system so i ended up uh, using that system for my own settings so i did like a fantasy setting but i used the world of darkness mechanics on those days is that a a, a dice pool using d10s yes and do you and you count is it is it tens or what do you count for successes uh, I think successes were uh, everything you got above five. I okay. Think. Yes, I think it was like that. So the more successes you got, the greater the uh, the action it was. So was it a? Did you have? Is it stats and skills or stats and powers? Yes. Okay. Stats and skills. Yes. Stats and abilities. I think it was. But I, I was uh, I I liked it because it was uh, it had a broader spectrum uh, with uh, with social uh, with the social aspect of the game. Right. So it was like more universal. It, it was not so combat focused. That's what I like about it coming from AD and D. Yeah, and I think it definitely. You're right. There's a huge change in sensibilities because you know obviously D and D advanced D and D that was. Definitely set up just to uh, to tromp through a dungeon and kill things. Yes, yeah, it was made for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Doesn't mean you have to play it that way, but that's what the mechanics uh, support, and that's what all mm-hmm. the modules guide you to doing. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it's interesting because I've been playing the um, we're starting Coriolis, uh, which is a free league game, and they use mm. a D six pool similar to a the, the D ten, but they just count six as a success. So mm-hmm. it's just, uh, it's, you know, definitely not an innovative, you know, system. Very few systems, I think, are like. Hey, if it works. Unique. Yeah, I think what Free League, what they do well is they have a base system and then they tweak it for whatever game you're playing. So if, if it's more like sword and sorcery, it becomes one way. If it's more sci-fi, it's another way. And they can tweak how dangerous it is and what what you know, uh, what failure looks like. Too, so. Once they have a fan base that is familiar with the system, it, it makes sense to keep going with that system. So 
you just have to tweak it a bit and change it for a different setting. But yeah, I think it's probably similar with World Rock. I don't think they intended for everything to coexist. Even though, pro- is that true? Like, were were they especially early on? Was like Werewolf? Did that work with Vampire? Or did you have to kind of make some changes? I think uh, you could uh, you could mix it uh, quite easily. It was not so difficult. It was a bit meant to do that. You to to mix werewolf with wraith or with a changeling or with vampire. I think it, it it had some some part of the mechanics were a bit like off, but it was not so difficult to make it work together. Well, I think each type of 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 we'll say um, monster. Mm-hmm. The the game was kind. I think wasn't each game geared to a certain type of type of game. Like vampire was probably set up more for the politics. And- yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Werewolf was more combat oriented, totally. And wraith was I don't know. It was like <laughs> insane. <laughs> so, yeah, that's one one of those games that everyone's is. Uh, uh, Big praises about it, but it's so difficult to play that nobody, well, very little people actually play it. Because you have like the shadow that could be interpreted by another player, and it was like quite challenging to make it work in a playgroup. Definitely for an advanced group. Yes. Uh, how about Mage? Did you play Mage? I play Mage uh, a couple of times as a player but never as a master. Okay. How was that one? I think a lot of people speak fondly of Mage. It was very interesting, very uh, almost freestyle, no? Because you could, uh, not so oriented on the mechanics, because it was all very, like, depending on the interpretation of the master and the players, about, because the, the magic is, like, so free that... Uh, it's uh, well, you get the idea. It's very difficult to make it make a system of something that is so broad. Right. So when you did, uh, so when you made your own system, kind mm-hmm. of cannibalizing from the world of darkness system, like how did you cobble together, and what did you add to to make that work? Like, what things did you take from other games? And what mechanics did you have to put in that didn't exist? Yeah, that system we're talking about was very in the early beginnings. I'm not using that anymore. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I I did not do much tweaking uh, for it. I basically took it as it was and just adjusted for uh, a medieval setting. It was fairly easy because World of Darkness also have a Dark Ages supplement, so it 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 didn't require much uh, adjustment. Okay, so you just didn't take like vampire and turn it into a fantasy heartbreaker then? No, 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 not so much. It was uh, something very smooth. But I guess it goes to kind of show the, the early years of the, the wanting to hack things. <laughs> it's uh... yes, <laughs> yes, totally. We we can't leave well enough alone. Yeah, there are two. It's like there are two kind of masters. You now the ones that played like. Vanilla style with the official rules and everything, and the guys that want like to tear everything apart. I I'm one of the guys that like to tear everything apart <laughs> and make it make it my own system, make it my own setting. That's what I like about it. 
But I think a lot of times my tearing apart didn't make it any better. I think <laughs> I may have broke things as well on the way. It's always a work in progress. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It isn't. So, so, so you went from uh, you went from D and D, then you went to uh, World of Darkness. Then what happened? Uh, then what happened? Then I have a hiatus for a couple of years, and then I started developing my own games uh, for my my own playgroup. And when the when everything went crazy in 2019, I decided to publish NeuroCity to give it a try and made the translation from Spanish to English. And well, the community had a, a there was a good response, a very positive response uh, to the game. So uh, I decided to move forward with it. Because um, I think that had a definitely unique uh, visual style as does um, Warpland. So, mm-hmm. Uh, who's who does your uh, who does your layout? Uh, for NeuroCity, uh, I use Benjamin Aníbal Reina. Uh, he's a established guy from the RPG scene in Argentina. And from for Warbland, I I used actually three different uh, graphic designers. Um, I am very focused on the aesthetics of of my game, so uh, I try to to work with people that uh, understand the vision I have for the for the particular book I want to make. So it's like uh, we work uh, in as a team, very very focused on the on the aesthetics we we want to aim for. Um so it's like uh, it's a huge effort for for my side because I didn't I didn't study I didn't study the graphic designing uh, but I'm totally obsessed about it about the way a book should look I think it's a very important aspect of it especially with RPGs and especially in the OSR movement right so what what let so you didn't go from just so what was the transition of going like you kind of were designing your own games to your group but then when you went <laughs> to Warpland, i mean that's that's a that's a large commitment a large book a large project i mean was there anything that you did in between to gear yourself up or did you just jump in with both feet and just say this is this is my vision this way we're going to do it i just jumped in the in and believe that I could do it. But I have been doing it for uh, uh, almost 15 years, but I've never published it and never uh, throw it to the international community. Yeah, but that's where, I mean, I mean, but you're making like that's the easy step is just doing it. But that's, that's a hard step, really, because it's, it's requiring getting the right people, sourcing the right people, and yes. getting people on board. And, and you're also... You said I'm not going to do a little zine. You said I'm just going to do a full blown project. You know, with this. Yes. Yes, it's a yeah. I think that is the only way I I can work. You know, it was like I. Some people said, "Why don't you do just like a setting and just use an already established system that every the community is already familiarized with, and that would be 
even easier, but I like to first at least propose an alternative system that or an optional system you can use. Uh, and I need to be aware that uh, learning a new system is like uh, it's a huge investment of energy and time uh, from the part of, our, of the reader. So the system needs to be simple, easy, intuitive enough and needs to be appealing. And it needs to work and be in line with the setting and the, and the mood and themes you want to aim for. So what was the system or what was the kind of the concept as far as the mechanics behind uh, NeuroCity? Uh, NeuroCity started uh, with a very simple D6 system. It used only one dice. And when I started developing, I, I ended up using 2D6 system. And I think that the main, the main mechanic or the, the most important mechanic is uh, stress or tension, it's called. Uh, the way that the characters keep gaining tension or use tension to be more effective with their tasks and that tension ends up like exploding and causing mental effects. Uh, it, it suits very well a dystopian setting. Yeah, and I think it also does a thing that I love, and that's what's called a pressure luck mechanic. Yes. Where it incentivizes the players to do an activity to gain a bonus for something that's going to cause them a problem later on or potentially. Yes, yes. Blade in the Dark has uh, yes. Blade in the Dark has something like that. Yes, yeah. It was a even, bit inspired in that. Yes, and so uh, and I think even the Free League's Alien system also has a kind of a stress. Also, mechanic. also, it has a very cool. I have a, a heard very good things about the Alien stress mechanic. Yeah, it seems like it's trying to. You know, you want a little bit of stress for your character. You just don't want too much, but mm -hmm. it doesn't take long for I guess for things to escalate from from being just the right amount to too much. So, um, but I know I love those types of systems. I love the thing. Cause I think it gives it, you know, if something, it, it gives the GM the ability uh, to kind of directly mess with the character with the player's permission. It's kind of implicit mm -hmm. that. Yes. Yes. And it goes very good in well in line with the suspense or three thrillers or that type of game where you, there's like, uh, well, a lot of tension going on, not just uh, fighting or not, not so much about action, but more about that uh, brooding sense of something about to happen. Uh, the uh, Cortex, they use a doom pool. So it, it, the gist of it is, is that the players will, will, will create a pool of dice and, and to a certain amount they can, what you do is you take the two highest rolls and you add them together. So that's the, mm -hmm. that's the mechanic. And then you take one of the die sizes that you didn't use, and then that becomes your effect. So you can, maybe your, your highest numbers are a D4 or a D6 and a D8. Those, you add those together, but you have a D10 that rolled low, or maybe it rolled higher, but you want to use that for your effect. And so, mm -hmm. but anyway, the, any ones you roll goes into the doom pool of that die size. And so you can be very generous and players will also can throw in D4s into their pool to get a, a point 
but any ones that they roll is going to create a a complication later on through the doom pool so as a gm you say yeah you want to add more dice go ahead because <laughs> you know you're right. going to get in your doom pool and it's just right. okay and later on when you create that complication that they're the ones that put that in the pool i didn't put it in there you know it's it's uh it keeps us escalating yes yeah and i think you know there's a, a thing where i think some of the old school people think well the gm should have rule over everything and then he determines this or that but i think in some ways it's nice when there's a, a a mechanism where the player where everybody's on the same page and the player can say you know what i trust you let's have fun with this i want to see what you're going to do to my character with this i want to rush into these complications and i want to have a fun game to see what results rather than being you know the complications just being punitive in nature mm -hmm. So yes, no, I, yes. I think that's a great idea. So you went, so you start out with a D6 and you went with a, a 2D6 for Narrow City. Is that what you said? Yes, 2D6 and uh, it's a roll under the stat. Oh, okay. Okay, so then the question is, so what, what made you decide to change from one to two dice? Uh, it... Um... Uh, by using two dice, I, I, I could also implement um, a, a complications in the dice roll. When you have a snake eyes or a dub, double six, you get a complication on the on the action. Okay. So you can you can be successful or be or fail and also have a complication. So it's I, I found that very appealing. The you made it, but this also happened. There was a, a consequence, a negative consequence. And that is definitely a, a sign of, I think, more modern games taking that up. That is just a one, that's another wonderful thing. Absolutely, yes. That's, uh, for me, it's uh, a game changer for everything. I also think it just, one die just isn't that fun to roll. No, it isn't <laughs> so much fun to roll. But uh, I have also a, a philosophy that the mechanic needs to be very simple because if you are concentrating, if the player is concentrating on, on the math or on the numbers, he's not role-playing. So yeah. I, I just wanted to make an emphasis on the settings. I, I'm always doing an emphasis on the settings. Well, I think 2D6 is just a nice, it provides a nice range. It provides a bell-shaped curve. Yes. And, it's, and it's, it's satisfying having at least two dice in your hand when you roll. It, there is, yes. to me, a certain feel rather than just one. I don't know that it, at least that's the way it is for me. So that, that no, no, yeah, that's that's also something you need to take into consideration. The 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 how it feels the dice you roll. Yes, and it and it allows for just quick resolutions, like you're saying. You can do the math real quick rather than, you know, even the systems I like with dice pool. It's like Cortex. People will roll these like six or seven or eight dice, and then they're you know, they spend a little bit of time rearranging it and there's other mechanics you can do to add to your role and, and it does slow down the game. It might be interesting and it may even be like funny or, or entertaining, but uh, it's, it's not focused on the role playing. No. But it, it might aid the role playing. It might aid the occurring of situations that are interesting. I don't think it adds in the role playing, but I think it does... I was afraid it was killing people's interest, but what happens is everybody gets involved 
with <laughs> trying to figure out which dice to use, which not no dice to use, and which whether to use pop points or not. So <laughs> the only positive thing, it does slow it down, but it does seem like it involves everybody into that person's role rather than just Yeah, that's also yeah, that's also important. Yeah. Make it make everyone involved, yes. Yeah, so it's it's got its pros and cons, but it does take away it does take away from the flow of combat. So or the or mm. conflict, I should say. So I'm sure with Neuro City, it's not just combat; it's, it's also probably social conflict as well. Yes, yes. But Warblam is also uses using the same system, so they are both. Uh, even I, I even managed to make the damage the damage damage in the within the attack roll. So you don't have a damage roll. It's just the, the highest number between, if, you're, if you have a successful attack roll, the highest number between the two dice is the damage, but plus the bonus modifiers because of the weapon. And that's it. So combat is like fast, and you use uh, the Black Hack initiative system. Which ones, that, what, what do they use for that? Uh, you just uh, roll, uh, when, in Warblands case, you roll Wits test. And if you are successful, you go before the enemy. If you fail, you are after the enemy. And that's it. Oh, okay. That's kind of interesting. Because it, it's interesting how um, that's a similar to, I think, the way uh, the Cypher system in Numenera does. There are just basically, you go before the enemy or after the enemy, and you uh, make everyone yes. roll. Yes, and players maybe decide who goes first. Yeah, and I think that makes much more sense because otherwise you have it, it doesn't make for very cinematic combat sometimes when the order of people going just way out of sync. Like you may need one person to get out of the stairway before you can actually go into the room. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, so that's where it's like. It, 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 it doesn't always seem like if you just do a, a straight initiative system that it always works. You usually get around it by saying, well, you can hold your turn. Well, initiative is always a problem, no? Uh, handling an initiative on combat. So I know there are many approaches and none of them are 100% perfect, but uh, I think it needs to be simple if you want to keep the, the action going. Right. The uh, the one that I think is kind of fun is, and I've used this, I think Leonard uh, Bolsera is the one that started this, is basically that somebody who starts the conflict, they go first. And then and they, they decide. And they, they choose the next person next, yes. Yes. But if they choose everybody on their side to go first, you know, before the enemy, then the mm -hmm. enemy goes ends the turn and the last person that went gets to choose the first person that goes the next round they could have two full so it does force the person to think about and to hand off to the enemy rather than just you know uh stacking up and that's that's not a bad way either but, but i think no, the problem, it's interesting also yeah i think but it can lead to probably at least with your system you already know uh um it, it does I, I think it adds a little bit of time to decide sometimes where with your system, it's it's pretty simple. Either before or after the enemy, it's that's much more quick. So, what is for uh, so Neuro City? What is the what is the um, as far as the game goes? I mean, what's the intent for gameplay? Like, what what's the activities the players engage in? What's the goal? Well, uh, Neuro City is 
very similar to as a setting to paranoia a bit uh, it's a it's an underground city nobody knows what's beyond it nobody knows what's the origin of the city but it's basically run by a supercomputer in a very large uh, uh, metropolis and players uh, basically have uh, like professions and they are uh, they are given orders by the super by the supercomputer uh, that they don't really know what's going on behind the scene everyone everybody knows that there's like something is off you know uh, humanity cannot be like a slave to this computer but uh, you start realizing what's uh, that everything is like a lie but uh, you realize it while you play it, you know? and resisting that, resisting uh, the orders, resisting authority uh, has as a consequences more more tension. So it speaks a lot about the consequence consequences of freedom. That's <laughs> that's basically the theme. It's a very bleak world. Well, I think we live in a very bleak world. I think there are consequences of freedom, and we're dealing yes. with it. <laughs> well, it's a bit. It was made a bit as a, 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 a as a criticism to the contemporary contemporary world we are living in. Yeah, but I think in some ways it's you can look at different. I mean, you can look at it different ways. I mean, it's it's uh, you know from you know you know countries that that were. Um, you know, let's say early Soviet Union, where they just completely dominated, you know, I guess even to some point China. Um, mm -hmm. But then also, if you look, but even like in my own country, it's like, well, I think there are things we don't question. There's things that we just kind of do because of that's the patriotic thing. I mean, so I think it is kind of, even though you can kind of look at other areas maybe being severe, but it's like, I think we can all relate to that somehow. Yes, of course, of course. And also to the constant surveillance we, we live in and, I don't know, uh, the, the matter about individuality, individuality versus the, what the authority believes is for the good of everyone. And I, I don't know, I, I wanted to present those themes and uh, make them more approachable in a, in a gaming environment. Yeah, I think game games are really are a useful tool for handling those subjects if they are uh, handled materially. Yeah, and I think definitely different eras of time have different things that are creating stress and problems with people. And I think in those times, that's where I think we look to games or to movies to kind of deal with those themes. Yes, 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 yes. Well, there are two approaches, I think, for gaming. You can, you can use them for escapism, or you can use them for understanding or for learning. Uh, Neurocity was, uh, has been used uh, for the law school in Mexico, uh, oh, for wow. the university, yes. As a professor uh, has been using it to teach uh, uh, his students some... Uh, it matters with civil rights and liberty and all that. Yeah, I think it is, and I'm not done much LARPing, but you could see where uh, certain role-playing games, maybe to some degree some simple LARPs, could be very educational because I think they allow people 
you know, to play roles that they normally don't. Absolutely. That's the, that's the key aspect of it. You interpret someone that's not, uh, that's not you. So you are uh, in a position where you are not, where you are not used to, and you are facing conflicts. You, you wouldn't be facing otherwise. So that makes you think <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I was, uh, it, it's, it is interesting, I think, by both by playing different characters and even different time periods. It's just, uh, you don't even necessarily have to play, um, I don't think you have to play games that are solely designed for that. I mean, I played a, a Solomon Kane game mm-hmm. where it, and it was in South America, and it's like, the bad guys, I'm like, I don't know if they're really that bad. I mean, I don't know if the conquering, you know, the Spanish were actually the good guys. I'm not sure it's my, it's the right thing to help them, even though that's what you're supposed to do for this adventure. And, <laughs> yes, yes. And likewise, I played a Villains of Vigilantes game where I played a, 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 a black character in the 20s who came across a bunch of communists who were the bad guys. I'm like, well... I think if I were living in that time and I was feeling, you know, all the, you know, the pressure of, of the, uh, of um, racism, I probably would say, let's just overthrow the system and start over again. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's very comfortable when we have a very clear idea of who's, who is the enemy, but reality does not work <laughs> yeah. in that way. No, <laughs> no, it is. It is. It's just kind of, <laughs> It gets kind of uncomfortable sometimes looking in the mirror. You're like, wow, maybe I've contributed some of this stuff. And maybe things aren't as clear cut as I thought. And maybe all those history books are just uh, written that just overlook a lot of things we've been involved in. But uh, I think, you know, I think role playing games is definitely an opportunity to explore that. And I think even social themes too. And I think there's been a number of games which I've not played. Uh, like, uh, I think Red Markets is one where like a zombie apocalypse, but it's also about capitalism and a critique of it. Yes, like, yes, I heard about it. It looks very interesting. Yes. And I don't necessarily probably believe, I've heard some of the, the people talk, I don't necessarily believe their their politics, but I sure would love to play that game and, and play in that world of their politics and to see their critiques. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it would it would be fun, so. Um, well, it's only information. Then you decide what to do with it. Or how to or how to digest it? Well, I think the thing is, it's like it's good to understand where other people are coming from. So it's like you know, just because you and I disagree on something, once I understand your reasoning behind it, it's like, well, I understand why you feel that way. It's okay, you know. I may not feel that way, or I may change a little bit in my way, or I may change all the way. But at least you like, I can understand where you're coming from, and 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 it treats people as being human beings rather than just, you know. An enemy, I guess. They don't need yeah, to be. And yeah, and that's what's what is cool so cool about role-playing games that they uh, oblige you to have a close relationship with other people and understand them. You you are not playing like a video game and just do your own stuff. You have to really have a connection with the other person you have uh, next to you. Yeah, and it's also funny how you can go to a convention with a complete stranger sitting all around the stranger sitting around the table. And when within like five minutes, you can have a strong connection, at least for that instant while you're playing. Yes. Yes. 
That uh, that's uh, I think one of the reasons uh, our, uh, the role playing game community is so so good and so sociable and everyone uh, supports each other because uh, it's part of the of the way uh, of, of the practice we do. In order to play it, we need to engage with the other. So we are used to it, I think. That's why it is so cool. Coming from a musical uh, background also, because I'm also a musician, I, I feel the, there is a strong difference between both communities. There's a strong difference? Yes, yes. Musicians are more selfish. <laughs> well, there's, a, there's a, a radio podcast. Well, it's a radio show originally called uh, Radio Lab. Not Radio Lab, uh, This American Life. And then they, what they did is they went through the want ads and found musicians looking to find other people to play with. And so they assembled all these musicians together Nobody knew each other. They had a project. They were going to sing Rocket Man. And they recorded. It sounded great. And then they asked them, like, you guys consider playing together again? They're like, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's difficult. Very difficult. To, to make a band and to, to maintain it is very difficult. Yeah, that's what they said. It's just like it, it, usually those, those, those relationships don't last very long. And people just move on. And that's why there's a lot of just, you know, just a lot of people just making music on their own. Yes. Yes. And you also, it's a, this are like an ego struggle because sometimes in order to finish a work, you need to give, give up the creative energy to, to someone. There, there needs to be a, like, a, I don't know if I have to say leader, but like I, like like someone that says the guidelines for okay this is where we're going, and that's very difficult for for musicians of for artists in general. Yeah, and I can see that. I mean, you know, you can look at groups where one person has a vision that's way different than the others, and mm -hmm. and they 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 go. But I think it could even be like, I guess when you're mixing the music, it's like how who whose 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 instruments are going to be prominent. You know, I guess is it. You know, does the bass get pushed back or does it get pulled forward? I mean, it's just, I imagine things like that can hurt feelings, you know? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like... Role-playing games are easier. <laughs> they are easier. So, so what do you play? Uh, with role-playing, I play my own games. No, no, I mean as far as uh, instrument. Ah, I play uh, the keyboard. I play the keyboard and uh, I used to have a couple of experimental projects like ambient stuff, electronic stuff. I also uh, did some poetry live while I played. Oh, really? That's kind of yes. cool. Because uh, there was a guy named Arnold Guthrie who would, who would tell a story while strumming his guitar. I thought that is mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. So, um, but yeah, so what, so what kind of poetry do you do? Mm, I don't know what... <laughs> I don't know what genre was it. Uh, like maybe a bit surreal, surrealistic. Okay, so or psychedelic. So, what kind of music do you play, and what kind of music do you listen to? I I like music in general. I listen to anything. Uh, I play particularly more electronic or heavy psych stuff, but I like uh, classical music. I like tango. I like electronic. I like rock. A lot. And heavy metal, I also like it. 
Yeah, and I think you're also, I think your country is just also known for its love of music and uh, and so forth. So it's it's probably a very rich place to live. There are lots of uh, very talented uh, musicians here, but there is no market. So everyone's like uh, very poor, but still doing what they love. <laughs> well, that, yeah, and I think there's definitely, I think there's, I, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think there's more communal, um, community, how is I going to put it? I think there's probably more sense of community and people joining together with music and it's celebrated more openly probably than it is here in the U.S. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. It's very normal to like know that, that there are gatherings or like a party and everyone will just grab a guitar and start playing and people will join in. Yes, that's very healthy. A healthy approach to music. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely it's it's um, you know, it just seems like a lot of times you see stuff. And maybe it's maybe it's just what I'm seeing too, but it just seems like there's a lot of approach of things with such joy that uh, that we seem to kind of lack as far as everybody kind of emotionally participating in it. So, so I guess going back to Warpland. So what's what's the deal with Warpland? What's the pitch for that? Uh, uh, with Warplum, I wanted to uh, I wanted to play with uh, with both post-apocalyptic fantasy and science fantasy uh, genres. Um, I wanted to cross those lines. Um, it, it's it's more or less a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, there was a previous civilization that destroyed the essence of light and. Basically, the whole sky is like a, it's like a warping storm that sometimes changes the whole landscape and the people or the creatures. So it's full of mutants. And there is also a religion that bans science and reading. So in order to, to prevent humanity to fall on the same mistakes that destroy the world, Right. So it's like a deal with, with a lot of obscure, obscurantism, like the medieval obscurantism. Um, it's a, like a cross between Mad Max and Dark Sun, for example, to have an idea. Well, that's fun. And uh, mm -hmm. so, the, so the science portion of it, are you going like, how far out are you going with the weird science? Well, uh, the world is uh, filled with like relics from the past, from the previous civilization that uh, very few people know how to use it. And they are absolutely forbidden. They are a heresy. So you can find like uh, ruined cities. And in those ruined cities, you may, you may find like a working computer or an, an artificial, artificial intelligence still working. Right. Those types of things, yes. You you can you can have weapons, laser weapons, but if anybody finds you with them, you might be prosecuted. Persecuted. Um, you could you could be prosecuted and persecuted. Yes, both. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be you'd be persecuted by the people, then you'd be prosecuted by the uh, by probably the uh, the Inquisition that finds you. Yes, the, the the fanatics <laughs> from that world. Yes. So what's what's the uh, so what's the goal like? What's the as far as 
gameplay? What's the intent for players to do? And what's the, you know, what's the, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I guess what's the core of the game? Like what, what's the core activities? And well, it works like a heroic sword and sorcery setting also. You have like, you can, there's a lot of exploring to do, a lot of uh, finding, finding out what really happened. How did the world turn out in this way? Because there is no history, so there is no uh, no idea about that. And like with Neurocity, uh, I also proposed uh, several possibilities about uh, how the world became uh, in that way. So that's uh, for the dungeon master to decide. Okay. So, so you basically can uh, any. Any gameplay of Warbland can be different. You, you never know what, what's behind the scene, both in Eurocity and both in Warbland. And both worlds are actually connected. You can, there is a possibility that you can escape Eurocity and find yourself in Warbland and in Reversal also. You can find Eurocity uh, in Warbland. So how, how are they related? Like how, what's the juncture of uh, connecting them? It, that connection uh, is also up to the dungeon master okay. to decide, but each book has uh, six possibilities for that. Uh, maybe Neurocity is like a hidden remaining city from the previous civilization, or maybe Warbland is just a, a computer simulation from Neurocity, or anything, I hope, like the Matrix or whatever. Okay. That may, actually, that makes sense. Uh... So it's kind of interesting that you um, did you put two very separate things, but because you're using the same, I will call it the house mechanic. So is stress still being used in in um, Warpland? No, Warpland uses willpower instead of stress. It's more appropriate for an heroic setting. <laughs> yes, but uh, the two worlds are like uh, two sides of the same coin. So... It has happened in, in a few gameplays that one character from one place go to the other. And it's interesting to see like a, a citizen from a futuristic city suddenly finding themselves in like a, a Conan uh, right. setting, you know, Hyperborea. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. That, that, uh, a movie that has influenced me deeply is Hard to Be a God uh, that influenced that look. I don't know if you... No. You heard about it? No, it's, uh, I, I recommend it. It's based on a book from Strugatsky. It's a Russian, uh, Russian uh, two brothers uh, from the communist times. You spoke about communism, and that yeah. uh, brought me there. Yes. So he wrote that book as a criticism to the Soviet area and about censorship and all that. And and he. It is a science fiction book about uh, people, humanity, finding another world exactly like planet Earth, except that they are still immersed in the medieval times, exactly because of a religion that prohibits knowledge. Okay. So I, I, I took that and used it for Warbland. Well, that's neat. I mean, it just goes to show just how much, you know, art influences art. And, you know, who knows what, you know, therefore people reading Warpland and, and Neural City, what, what inspiration that will drive them to uh, as well. Well, you need to inspire from the great authors. 
the, those, these guys also made the inspiration behind the Stoker movie from Tarkovsky. Maybe you heard it. I don't know. They are no. very good science fiction authors. Very famous. Like the Asimov or the Arthur Clarke from Russia. Okay. Probably less boring, though. <laughs> no, more or less depends. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, of course, there may be some heresy, uh, bad mouth and Asimov, but, uh, you know, it's... <laughs> But I think this, I think uh, writing has changed and aesthetics have changed since the 1950s. Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> so, so what's next? What's, so you're, you've got a company and you're like, you know, I need to make product. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, what's, I'm now campaigning for a card game called Asset. That's about monks uh, living in the desert, uh, trying to achieve enlightenment while being tempted by demons. Uh, that's what the card game is about, and it has lots of role-playing overtones. You have to make a character creation also. And after this project, I am making one called Hell Knight. And that's going to be quite big also. It's going to be a big setting. Uh, it's about demonic bikers hunting fug fugitive demons in 1992, Las Vegas. <laughs> so, so why 1992? <laughs> because uh, I, I wanted to, I like the, the atmosphere of the 90s. I wanted to focus on that. that, that music. And I wanted to inspire also, it's also inspired a bit in Fear and low, Loading from Las Vegas. That's not based in the 90s, but still I wanted to, to use that old excess and psychedelic atmosphere for the game. Is it going to use the same mechanic, the 2D6? It's, yes. Yes, it's going to use the same mechanic, but uh, with a few tweaks. So this is really your house system now? Yes. Yes. It's, I will always present it as an optional system. There are a lot of people that use their own system for my settings, but you can always... Give it a try if you like. It's so easy to learn in 10 minutes that you can always give it a try and see if it fits you. So, so the question is, so you are hunting, um, so you're, so you're demon bikers hunting. Um, you said that the, the, the demons that have, have uh, gone uh, heretical or what, what were the ones that you're hunting? What are they doing? <laughs> they are hunting. Uh, it's um, the Archons, uh, you, you, have you heard the word Archons? Well, it's like yeah. the demonic overlords that reign over the hundreds of circles in hell. Some of them have escaped, and the heavens have basically given them give hell an ultimatum that they will uh, um, make war against hell unless those demons that are causing mayhem in earth are... Uh, captured or destroyed before the, the day comes. So you interpret one of these demon hunters uh, with a demonic bike uh, hunting these demons on Earth. So it's, it, um, it faces you with uh, lots of funny stuff because you are basically like a demon with maybe like a broadsword or like with, a, with an armor. Uh, and, and that bike and you go in like a casino and start making a lot of uh, questioning and trying to figure out things because 
the rules are totally different. No, you're accustomed to living like in hell. Right. So, so it's very funny. We have been having lots of fun playing this. So it's just really kind of meant to be kind of over the top, uh, yes. tongue in cheek, and just uh... yes, totally over the top. Absolutely. And heavy metal focus. We're also doing a soundtrack by the band. Yeah. yeah. Very doom metal. The aesthetics will look very like the doom metal covers from the 90s. No okay. sleep. Sleep. That's, that sounds really cool. So, I mean, I think a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of the cool kids these days are, are starting to do soundtracks uh, for their projects, which I think is a neat idea. Yes, yes. Uh, trying to, uh, to embark on the, on the game from different disciplines. No. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, and I think, uh, you know, going back, it's RPGs still are, we're still pretty young. I mean, it's, it's still in its infancy. And I think it's just, I think that uh, there's a lot of opportunities to explore a lot of areas that, that haven't been explored before. Uh, you know, yes. Combine music and, and that is another thing. It's, it's, uh, it's a great idea. So, yes. so, you, so you have somebody lined up for a soundtrack. You've got, a, you, you've, you've got the theme. It sounds like uh, you've got your team to get. So have you started, uh, I assume you started writing already. Is that the case? Yes, it's almost <laughs> finished. It still needs to go through editing and proofreading and all that. But and, and all, uh, I'm working with a few illustrators, an, an Indonesian illustrator, an Argentinian illustrator, an Ukrainian illustrator, an American illustrator. Also. So the question is, how do you find your illustrators? How does that work out? Well, uh, when I find someone that makes some, something that I really like, I just confront him and tell him that I, I would like him to work with me. I'm always looking for stuff I, that uh, inspires me and I think that will go very well with the special setting I'm looking for. So the people that you are looking at, as far as you're inspiring, like what industry do they normally work for? Uh, well, the Ukrainian illustrator uh, works for the for doom metal, uh, exactly doing metal doom metal covers. Uh, the Argentinian illustrator uh, does comic books. Uh, so it's a bit eclectic, but uh, everyone's related to that. No, I think. Yeah. Uh, for example, Mark Borg, I think that had the heavy met the doom metal stuff, and also there's a bit of uh, maybe it looks like a bit like a fancy, no? It does. So the question is: is have you had have you reached out to people and never gotten responses, or how's that uh, been for you trying to find people? <laughs> no, no. Usually there is a good response, but sometimes the <laughs> the budget it needs to be. Uh, uh, needs to be adjusted to to the art to the artist, or sometimes I don't have the budget to do exactly what I need to do. Uh, so I need to I need to I'm always trying to do the best the best I want within the possibilities I have and within the success of the campaign. So with Warbland we had a very good success, so I managed to uh, use about. 10 illustrators in that book. That's a lot. <laughs> yes, that's a lot, yes. 
<laughs> that's a lot and it's very difficult to to manage that they they are all focused on the same uh, direction yeah so i mean the first my first <clears throat> zine i did I, I ended up having one artist for a cover uh the last one i'm working on now it was partnered with one artist who just produced most of the art in there which made it a lot simpler uh, yes, it's uh, yeah. It's always simpler to just use one artist for the whole book. But they don't always have the time for that, though. Yes, yes. But I want. I wa I'm always uh, trying to focus on from different uh, perspectives. No, uh, maybe an artist is very good doing action, but another artist is very good doing weapons or objects or landscapes or. Maybe another one is very good for the cover, but not so good for other uh, sections of the book. Right. It's also probably what you can afford, too. It's like, I can only afford one thing from this guy, and it's going to be the cover. And yes. I don't have any budget for this guy for anything else, because those <laughs> covers do matter. Yes. Yes, the cover is, uh, very, is very important. And it needs to, you, you need to see the game uh, just by seeing the cover, the complete game. Yeah, and I think it's right because it's what you're conveying is not only what's the game about, but you're also kind of conveying, oh, not kind of, but you're also conveying what the game should feel like. Yes, yes, yes. Well, nowadays, uh, uh, maybe feeling is more important than, than anything else. It's more about the feeling. Right. Uh, especially for independent creators or, or this scene in particular. You don't want to cause an overflow of information and be uh, very uh, specific about the tiny details, but you need to be uh, focused on the flavor and of inspiring someone just by giving him maybe just a phrase, a very good phrase in the correct typography and in, with the correct impact. It's more important than just a whole paragraph to explain how the city works or whatever. So I think it's more about that. So for your artists, what did you do? Did you give them a specific direction for their, each of the art? Or did you just, how, how'd you manage which, what the images conveyed? I mean, did you, were you directly involved specifically or did you just give general guidelines? Yes. The, well, the communication with the artist is to be very close, very specific and very close. And one of the challenges uh, I have is, transmitting the correct atmosphere of the world. I need to, I know, maybe I, sometimes I even give them music and I give them uh, a few uh, trailers of a movie. I think that uh, it's important for them to understand. Uh, there's, um, there, are, there are usually a lot of uh, for, backs and forwards with them uh, before they manage to nail it. So it's, uh, it's a bit, it becomes a bit stressful sometimes. <laughs> it's not easy at all. Yeah, for my last, I mean, for the project I partnered with, I just, he just had the manuscript and he just drew whatever he wanted, which worked out fine. Um, and then there's a few things I asked for. Um, but, um, but yeah, I just work with a lot of people. Um, and your stuff is very specific to what you're trying to convey. And I've also noticed that like with clip art, which you you're not using clip art, but I also noticed that there's just there's just certain themes you can't find with clip art, like crime yes, themes. Yes, no, absolutely, totally like, yes. 
Okay. The more specific the the genre you're using is uh, because it, with with just fantasy, medieval fantasy, it's more or less easier because there are lots of stuff from medieval fantasy. But if you go like I don't know, Neurocity, dystopian cyberpunk from the eighties. Okay, when well, you need to find specifically that or Warland, seventies uh, psychedelia. Okay, I need to go. It's a, it's it's quite a challenge. Yeah, it's and I think that you know even like say going to the clip art, even though there might be a lot of medieval, uh, it's just like even the types of activities that people are doing. I was trying to do one is more modern sci-fi with crime activities, but it's like you don't really find much as far as regarding somebody like you know picking through a door, going through a window, or you know, trying or, or mugging somebody or, you know, those types of things. It's just, it's, it's very difficult. It doesn't take long before you say, you know what, I'm pretty, even though I've got millions of images I can use, it just, none of them seem to fit what I really need. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a big part of the, of the work we need to do as creators. Yeah. The, the image and the visual aspects of the book. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, you're you're pretty well set. So you've got you've got uh, you had 2021 pretty well nailed down. Sounds like you're going in strong for 2022, of course, having a product <laughs> out. Yes, yes, I have like four projects in the future. Oh my goodness! Well, it's, it's good you're able to devote the time. I think the card game is going to be definitely uh, interesting to see how you how you work out those mechanics as well. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a very funny. It's a very funny game, eh? uh, very entertaining. And um, uh, I think uh, we have been playing it since last year. And it's something that just takes like 20 minutes to play. And it's uh, quite enjoying. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure with a lot of that stuff, it's just getting the number of play tests in to, to make it work, uh, make sure it's smooth. That's not always easy, but it sounds like you've yes. got a... I work with three play testing groups. Wow. Yes. <laughs> You're very fortunate. <laughs> if I, I mean, a lot of people oh. struggle to find people. You know, you've got three groups you can work stuff through. Yes, yes. Well, they, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. Yeah, lots of guys that want to. At the beginning, it was difficult because they were not so eager to, to start with different settings. My, my original playgroup, they were like Pathfinders. Uh, <laughs> Right. So imagine switching from that to Neurocity was like a big change for them. But uh, they they enjoy it and they're playing them on even playing uh, their their own things but using my systems. Right. Because right. it was easier for them and simply more focused on the role playing. Yeah, that's that's what's hard. I mean, you know, you want to play D&D or Pathfinder, you can always find a load of people, but you say, hey, let's just do a dystopian science, uh, science fiction future with a completely different system. That's that's sometimes a hard sell. But uh, but 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 it sounds like you, you've grown pretty well. You got three groups. So that's 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 uh, pretty amazing. That's the minimum I need. The minimum I need. Yes. It's still, uh, as I'm using always this, more or less the same mechanics. Uh, it's not more. It's not so much about testing the mechanics, but 
more about uh, testing the feel, about the setting, about how they feel with the setting. Do they find it interesting? Do they find the character options appealing? Or yeah, have some feedback. So for these books, since you are, uh, are you having these books printed in the U.S. and then shipped from the U.S.? Is that how you're handling distribution? Yes, uh, I am. At, at the moment, I am using drive-through RPG because it's the only logistic option uh, and the more reasonable I have. But uh, I'm starting to look into other options, uh, at least to to offer the like more of uh, a premium, yeah, more premium books. You know, uh, you you can either have like uh, the the main option in drive through rpg that's uh, it's in full color that's very very good but i would like to offer like hardcover special editions in i have been talking with exalted funeral for example to see the yeah well i think that's going to be the future in the short term yeah it's amazing how much exalted funeral has grown over the years yes i love them yes i love the aesthetics and i love them the the products they are offering. Yeah, they, I mean, they kind of started out with a pretty small, you know, sample of products, but established their niche, and they just keep growing. Like they got a Kickstarter right now. It's I think dealing with botany, like fantasy. Well, it's like beautifully illustrated um, book of uh, it's botanical, but then they also have all these herbs and such, and the real world you know like traditional uses and how they could be used in fantasy and it's just a beautiful beautiful book and i think it's like over three hundred thousand dollars now it's like my goodness it's like yes yes <laughs> it's incredible yes they grow a lot but it's because they are very focused and they know exactly where they are aiming for and yeah, i love them for that yeah. i i got with them uh with the game uh I'm not. I don't know if you are familiarized with the Black Sun Death Crawl. No. It's a. I. I think it's for me. It's a precursor to Morkborg, because uh, Black Sun Death Crawl. Uh, it's it's a medieval fantasy setting, but it's about uh, the world is coming to an end right now. So you are basically playing as the world is ending. And there's like a black sun that's uh, coming near the, the world. So you need to keep digging or going to the, to, the, to, the, to the dungeons or the caves and trying to survive. And you will always uh, die in that game. Everyone will die. There, there's no escape from that. And it's quite interesting. Uh, quite different also. So how many sessions do you play before the end comes? Is it only one? It's a one session. So it's just a one shot, or I think, isn't it with Morkborg, it could end or it may not end? Is that yes, yeah, Morkborg takes more time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, those types of you know, th those types of mechanics that they put in to create a different flavor of, of play. Mm -hmm. Because I think what what they're both those are doing is you know probably those people who are very conservative with their characters it's saying don't be conservative with your character this is like a no. magic game just you, there is no way you, you will make it out of it 
<laughs> yes, exactly. But it's interesting to know, to, to see what uh, each character will do in order to survive, because it always ends up in betrayal or doing, I don't know, very <laughs> violent stuff in order to be the last pl character playing. Oh, my goodness. That's funny. <laughs> that's funny. It's terrible, terrible. <laughs> well, I think we're hitting the time-space continuum. And, uh, okay. And I really appreciate, uh, Gabriel, you, you joining me today. And uh, I appreciate that you invited me, Jeffrey. Yes. Thank you very much. I, it is, uh, you know, it was kind of, uh, I don't want to say happenstantial, but it all, I guess I'll say, uh, call it synchronicity. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was wonderful having you on because you definitely provide, you know, some insights that are definitely uh, uh, a little bit different and very interesting. And I think applicable to a lot of people who are, you know, trying to publish their own work. And we're all out there trying to do the same thing. And it's just nice to hear from different people what their struggles and what their paths are. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think that it's very important, the work that you do to visualize independent creators to be able to show their stuff, because otherwise we will be lost in the sea. Yes, <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> so thanks again, Gabrielle. I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Jeffrey. Bye-bye.